Hey everyone, welcome to the Influencer Economy Podcast, episode number 23. This week's episode is supported by Truemaker, a new menswear brand that combines ruggedly refined original designs with a modern approach to made-to-measure clothing. You'll never have to go to the mall again or worry about finding your size online. Sign up for an appointment at truemaker.com and one of their expert outfitters will come to you when and where you want to for a simple, casual 30-minute fitting. Then they'll measure you for your shirts and blazers that are built to fit you, only you, it's also easy to reorder more perfectly fitting gear at truemaker.com. That's T-R-U-M-A-K-E-R.com. And make sure you mention as a friend of the show, Influencer, when you sign up to get a free gift with your first order. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. The Influencer Economy is a podcast in which I interview makers, builders, and creators. People who have launched revolutionary and big ideas online. So glad to have you this week for episode number 23. My guest is Ryan Ford. He's the EVP Chief Creative Officer at Cashmere Agency based in Los Angeles, California. They're a lifestyle agency that is focused on multicultural millennials and building out communication strategies that can speak to people authentically wherever they're at. In other words, they work with hip-hop artists like Snoop Dogg, Riff Raff, Far East Movement, both managing their investments as well as their brand opportunities, and they work with clients such as Netflix, Adidas, and HBO. Wanted to have Ryan on the show to talk about the convergence of hip-hop culture within the advertising and media world, specifically with the artists he works with like Snoop Dogg and how they work with bridging the gap between technology and Silicon Valley startups and hip-hop artists as well as celebrities. He and I also grew up together in Iowa, which was even more of a reason to have him on the show. Throughout the episode, we'll be reminiscing about Des Moines, Iowa and our freestyle rap days back when we were growing up in middle school and high school. Um, I used to go by Rhino and he used to be called Fat Rap. So excited to get Ryan on the show. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at Ford Ryan. Make sure you check me out at InfluencerEconomy.com. If you're subscribing on iTunes, would love it if you would also leave a five-star review. It helps with discoverability on the podcast. Without further ado, I want to welcome an old friend to the show, Ryan Ford. Here with Ryan Ford, a.k.a. Fat Rat. Do people still call you that? No, back home they do. In Des Moines, Iowa, like you still have people that don't know my real name. But no one in L.A.? No, no one in Really? LA. Yeah. Even though I named my fantasy football team the DMI Fat Rats, just to try to get it going out here in L.A. And it hasn't so we'll, picked up? Not virally yet, but So I assume it will soon. Because you're Fat Rat to me and everyone in Des Moines, Iowa. Right. Just to introduce yourself to the audience, yeah. like, what do you do at Cashmere? And- I'm the EVP, Chief Creative Officer at Cashmere Agency. We're a lifestyle agency based here in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, a lot of us come from the music world. We all come have music backgrounds in one way or another. And um, our sister company is Stampede Management. And through Cashmere and Stampede in this building that we sit at this very second, we manage the careers of a lot of different hip hop artists from Riff Raff to YG to Far East Movement. And we also uh, manage Snoop Dogg. And uh, at Cashmere, we handle all of his branding, all of his um, innovation ideas, all of his investments into the tech world and all of that, um, help him with uh, his social media footprint. And that's what a lot of people know us for. But at Cashmere, we also have a million other different uh, brands and um, clients from Adidas to Paps to Netflix to 
Airbnb, um, the E Channel, HBO, MTV. Uh, we're really a lifestyle agency that focuses on multicultural millennials and uh, building out and reaching those audiences. Yeah, and building out communication strategies that can speak to them authentically wherever they're at, whether they're on YouTube or at a party or you know looking at their phone on the subway or Snapchatting. Yeah, Snapchatting. So it's really fascinating, and we were talking about this before the our conversation on the podcast was. So I went to Vanderbilt for college, right. and I rapped. I was like the token northern guy right. in my fraternity in a southern school. Rapped in my fraternity, other fraternities. You were the Bubba Sparks of. Vanderbilt. I was much better than Bubba Sparks. <laughs> I mean, so I had this like, um, I was like the token guy, but I, I was I was pretty good. Right. Like I'm not I'm not lying. Like right, I right. would just rip on my friends. Right. It's funny because then. I got married and I hadn't rapped in a long time. Uh-huh. And I rapped in like Jamaica and uh, this booze cruise. I rapped in venues in Nashville, like dive uh-huh. bars to like uh-huh. places like Exodent. You know, award tour. Award tour, yeah, yeah. with Muhammad, my man. Yeah. So I ended up getting uh, married and my friends came back from college and they're like, dude, you gotta rap. Right. So I rapped it, I killed it. Right. I had like 5,000 views on my YouTube video. Uh-huh. And then I see you now and I'm like, the only reason why I rap is pretty much because you, Sam, Glassnap, uh-huh. Cody Fox, JT, whomever, right. we would rap in Des Moines, Iowa, yeah. which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to think that like years later, this still has lived on and yeah. people know me as this guy that raps. Yeah, yeah. But without knowing funny, you, that right? would never have happened. Yeah, it's funny. Des Moines was a strange place. And I tell people this now, like, it, you know, like you read the book, like The Outliers, and you, you see like it had to be these types of people from this type of area at this point in time to go on yeah. and do whatever it was that they did. And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has a million different examples of that. But it was funny because Des Moines, Iowa at that time and at Roosevelt High School at that time, Roosevelt was the most diverse school in Iowa at that time, which is still Iowa, so it's not super diverse. But the key stat is it had the richest people in Iowa and the poorest people in Iowa right. going to the same high school. And it's hard to believe now, like especially living in LA or spending a lot of time on the East Coast, like um, it wasn't a bad thing to go to public school in Des Moines, Iowa. You know what I mean? And Roosevelt was known as a good school. Oh, yeah. So you literally had this strange mix of uh, poor kids, rich kids, African American, Southeast Asian, People pretty much white got along. Kids, and everybody pretty much got along, right? So then you would have parties where you have these kind of these strange mixes at like somebody's big, you know, mansion south of Grand yep. or the same group of people would be like down in the hood in someone's basement listening to like DJ Quick and AMG. But that kind of culture mixing or something like led to like these groups of kids, whether they're white or black or whatever, like coming together and participating in the culture in a unified fashion. And that resulted in like freestyles around the keg. Just drink a beer and yeah. make it fun of each other. Right. So then like after my wedding, I ended up getting booked at all my friends' weddings. Right. So I wrapped up like Martha's Vineyard, North Carolina, Florida, San Francisco, right. like all over the country. Right. And it's just hysterical right because people are like dude you're gonna rap at our wedding and just to think like those encounters a long time ago still like affect people yeah absolutely and it's one of those things like you know that's what i was saying like when you go back to des moines like i'm still known as fat rat you yeah know? like it's you you make your mark when you're young in a, in a place like and i was that. rhino back then yeah but I'm, now i'm the red baron i like that too and uh that comes from larry king right so which we talk about mm-hmm. should we talk about now yeah, i'd love to so you were the uh you were on Larry King's web show. Yeah. And uh, you said it came about in a way that you weren't originally booked. 
Yeah, well, you know, we work with but a lot of artists. But you're the N-word specialist? Yeah, well, you know, I'd like to think of myself more than that. But no, but in, in no, Larry's yeah, context. Yes, absolutely. We, um, I mean, he's older. We work with a lot of <laughs> artists, and one of the artists we work with, we manage here and do his branding, is this artist named YG that's out of Compton. He's on Def Jam, had like the album of the year so far uh, this year, or I guess it was last year. Yeah. My Crazy Life. We heard it at that bar mm-hmm. we were at yeah. just recently. So one of the... Like the, a, the, a dive the bar. record, yeah. It's it's, but we're in L.A., so, so it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's universal. It's right? So you know, one of the hit records off of that album was called "My Nigga." You know what I mean? It was him and Rich Homie Quan and Young Jeezy, and produced by DJ Mustard. And it actually, just a few weeks ago, won the collaborative song of the year at the BET Hip Hop Awards. This is a monster song, and of course, it like brings that word back up again, right? And then at the same time, the NFL made a new ruling that anybody that uses derogatory words on the field will be flagged, whether it's negative or yeah. in a positive uh, connotation. I think Colin Kaepernick has actually Someone been just got one. fined last week. Yeah, so it happens. And so it was like this touch point, right? And so Larry King, um, YG wasn't available, so uh, I was on the show and I uh, you know, arranged for Nipsey Hussle, who's a rapper out here from, uh, from uh, you know, South Central Crenshaw District to be uh, on the show as well. And That's we a great just talked call back about to Nipsey Russell. It. Yeah, no Nipsey Hustle. But he's but yeah, like yeah, yeah, totally course, like. Yeah. But his Nipsey Hustle sounds so much dope. <laughs> um, so we just kicked it around and talked about it, and with Larry King, right? Did he, did he say the N word? No, he didn't say the N word. He said he never says the N word. And then I, w- then he was like, hey, you know, in the context of the show, he was like, I remember being at Jackie Robinson's first game, and I was really like are you a thousand years old? Like, how old are you, man? In Brooklyn? Like, yeah, but it was awesome because it's that kind of context and that kind of, uh, like, you know, he's interviewed everybody. So he has, like, this great uh, story to tell himself, right? And just that was, like, uh, one for the history books. Like, Nipsey Hussle, me, Larry King, um, and some other people. There's a guy there that used to play for the uh, Houston Texans. And there was like two other, or was four people in Larry King. And it was just like talking about the N word. It was like, you know, it's kind of one of those surreal moments that you just like wake up and you're like, what am I doing? What was your, what was your uh, take? My take was that it is what it is, man. And, you know, it's, it's a word that uh, is re- very prevalent in the culture. And uh, there's a million reasons why. Um, but it is a word that I don't think is going anywhere. And I understand the derogatory aspects of the word and how it could be seen as negative, but I also see see how it could be very positive. And one of the takes I took at that time was, um, you know, a few weeks before that show, I was with YG and we were down in um, Orange County for the Power 106 Powerhouse, which is like the huge concert out here. And YG was the um, headliner. And you see like this huge arena filled with multicultural people like Mexicans, white, black, young, old, rich, poor, come together under music and everybody's like singing along to this song, right? It's weird. Like, it's weird, but it's yeah, also like... it's kind of cool. I'm also not 17, right? I'm 37, so I look at it, I'm like, but something's happening there. Yeah. And whatever that is deserves to be discussed and, and it's it's something, it's a it's a change and, and whether it's good or bad probably depends on your perspective. Well, I've been called the N-word like meeting people in like a business setting. Right, like in a, with casual people that I I know I have friends in common or I have coworkers mm-hmm. in common, mm-hmm. and I just take a deep breath and like say, okay, you know, right. what am I going to do? Right, because I'm not going to say it. Right, but if someone's comfortable saying it around me, I have no right. problem with it. Yeah, it's 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 weird, man. There's no other word in the and English if white language. people from like Alabama or mm-hmm. Pasadena say it. Yeah, then I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. This is like <laughs> right. not cool. Right, but if someone who's African American says it. 
then I guess it's some way a term of endearment. Yeah. But it's not something I would ever say. It's just, it's this one word that just packs so much into it. Yeah. So much history, so much oppression, so much angst, but yet so much like uh, appropriation and so much like fulfillment and camaraderie. And it's just, it could be used in a million different ways and mean a million different things. And it's just a fascinating word. Um, and, you know, people use it how they may. If they use it in the wrong context around me, then they're going to hear about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like you're saying. Like, would you hit them? <laughs> no, not initially. Not initially? Yeah. You'd depends give, on who it is. You give them a stern warning? Yeah, it depends on who it is. Can you tell us about uh, Snoop's uh, partnership with Des Moines area football? Yeah, that was... that. You just launched it, like, came that, up phenomenal. That's an interesting thing, right? I got a lot of great stories of Snoop in Des Moines, right, throughout the years, just because every time he's in Iowa, I'm like, I got to be there, right? <laughs> so, with um, him performing? Yeah, with him performing. Um, and, you know, when I was still at The Source, before I even worked with Snoop, I set up for when he came through Des Moines, he talked to a bunch of area youth. I had them come in, and uh, Snoop talk to him. That's a good thing about working in entertainment and having a father that works in community organization. I'm always able to connect those dots. So whether it's Alicia Keys performing at the Iowa State Fair or Black Eyed Peas coming to town or uh, Tupac back in the day, right, before I was even in the entertainment industry, there's always these key community connections. Yes. Um, Where did he perform? He performed at uh, the convention center. Oh, no way. Yeah. And then I, I DJed his after party at uh, the Holiday Inn that was across the street from Veterans Memorial the, Auditorium. The convention center? Is that the Civic Center? Yeah. With no, the, 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 the Civic Center's downtown. Then there's the, Now I think the Veterans is the Civic Center. There's something weird's going on there where they're trading oh, places. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, I DJed his after party. I was 14, I think. It was oh, the night before my first varsity football game. That's insane. But uh, uh, I was saying that... You know, so Snoop's had always had this. Well, anybody that knows me has a connection to Des Moines, as far as I'm concerned. That's that's my hometown. That's our hometown, and it's very unique, and we don't forget that. So, anyway, so that's a long story, but uh, it came to my attention that there was this inner city football league in Des Moines that I someone sent me a link to on KCCI Channel Eight that needed uniforms uh, and needed equipment, or they wouldn't be able to participate in football the following year. Um, I work closely with Snoop and his SYFL, which is a Snoop Youth Football League, which is centered here in Southern California. And actually, the president of the league is a good friend of mine. And back in the day, spent a lot of time in Des Moines. He's from out here. His name's Tarek Ross. And um, I got this link. Uh, my my father showed me this link. And he was like, you should show this to uh, Snoop. And it made so sense for so many different reasons. And if there's one thing that Snoop is passionate about, it's youth sports. I've never met, I've, I've never met anybody more passionate about youth sports and specifically youth football than Snoop. And we were at uh, Google Zeitgeist actually in uh, Phoenix a couple weeks ago, and I showed him the clip, and he was just like zoned in on it. And um, he was just like, "We got to help these guys, right?" So um, we had recently started a partnership with Tilt, and Snoop had started a partnership with Tilt. So he was like, we're going to use Tilt, and we're going to use my position, meaning Snoop's position, as the uh, director of football development for Adidas, and we're going to help this league, right? And this is not his personal league, the Snoop Youth Football League. This is a league in Des Moines. It's completely separate. Right. But I know the power of football in Des Moines. That's how I went to college. That's how my dad came to Des Moines. That's why I was born in Des Moines. It was all around football and around inner city football. If you know Des Moines, you know that it's like many places. You have all these football leagues, but there's never this league in the hood, 
right? And this guy, uh, DJ Roland, started this league in the hood X amount of years ago, but it's hard to get equipment. Football's an expensive sport to play. So anyway, last week we launched a tilt campaign online. Snoop put up the first $5,000 and, um, you know, wanted to spread the word around Des Moines that Snoop was helping out. And it's one of those things that Snoop is always great at this fish out of water scenario. It's like Snoop and Overstock.com commercial. Like, how does that work? Snoop in old school, the movie. How does that work? Right. And this is like Snoop helping a football league in Iowa. How does that mm -hmm. work? And it's just it's interesting enough, but it comes from this real place of passion and this real sincere and genuine place. And I think we're going to be able to help this league out and get him some new equipment. Well, I saw he tweeted Katy Perry, mm -hmm. which is great because she was on uh, college game day yes. over the weekend yeah, yeah, and on the old Miss sideline. Yeah, yeah. She's like, hi, Katie, where are you at? Right. Next end of the link. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome, right? So, you know, Snoop has this very uh, diverse group of friends, and, you know, the guy's been in entertainment for 20 years, so there's his, his hands and his arms, like, they reach far into that world, and um, he can drive a lot of attention around the cause. And he's done so for years with Snoop Football League, and he's going to continue to do that. But, uh, you know, it's something he's passionate about, and I'm just happy that my father brought that to my attention and that Snoop wanted to get down and help. The guy's doing a million things. And for just to think that this guy that we listened to when we grew up in Des Moines is now helping. Like a house parties. Yeah, and now he's helping kids in the hood in Des Moines. And you were like in the article, in your pops. Yeah. They had a photo of you guys in right. Iowa. Well, my dad had been talking to Snoop for some time about the possibilities of bringing the Snoop Youth Football League to Des Moines. Because, like I said, every hood not every hood, a lot of hoods in America, they suffer from that same problem. Like we have all these athletes and all these people that football can be a, a very positive impact on their life, but there's no organized football. So, um, you know, so this just kind of brings everything full circle. That's cool. Yeah. So what's it like when you're with Snoop Dogg or with YG and you're meeting with like a technology company or uh -huh. a startup, especially in Silicon Valley? Right. Because I imagine there's part of it's like a, a celebrity uh, infatuation mm -hmm. where they're like wow this guy who is a celebrity like a Snoop Dogg is more of a cultural influencer mm -hmm. I remember I was in Europe years ago like Germany and he's like on a billboard mm -hmm. and you're like this guy is iconic everywhere mm -hmm. so is what's it like when you bring him into a business environment well you know there's the celebrity infatuation parts of it but um, first and foremost like there's different businesses that we do business with and uh, assist Snoop in handling and facilitating that business. But I think in the Bay Area... Like the ones that you may invest in or the ones that mm -hmm. you partner with. Yeah, they, they, like the ones in the Bay Area, like a lot of the tech companies. And now we're here in our offices, which is in Silicon Beach here in uh, whatever Los that Angeles. Means. Yeah, whatever that is. Um, <laughs> you know, it's they're also very progressive. They're progressive thinkers. And they're not meeting with Snoop just because he's Snoop and he's a celebrity. Of course, that's awesome. Yeah, right? but and they get a good story. At the same time, Snoop has over 30 million Facebook fans. He has over 12 million Twitter fans. He can continues to be relevant not only on like TV or traditional media, more traditional types of media, but in the online space. We were the first celebrities, uh, Snoop was the first celebrity on Instagram, for instance, and a colleague of mine went and, uh, and myself went and up to the Bay and met with Kevin Sistrone when there was really like maybe 10 people working on Instagram. We just really have always prided ourselves on thinking uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, thinking ahead and staying ahead of the curve and um, trying to build out these relationships. So it's not like, Snoop's this flash in the pan and it's just like, hey, let's call Snoop because we'd love to meet him. It's like Snoop can bring a tremendous amount of value to this company. Um, 
in a, in a myriad of different ways. And, uh, you know, what they come to find out very quickly. And now it's kind of like the, the, the reputation is out there. Snoop has a great team around him of a lot of very smart people who understand the space. And more importantly, it's not even understanding that space. It's understanding that space and how that space works differently with different communities, right? So there's the tech world and there's the bubble of San Francisco or whatever you want to call it. But then there's the way that young African-Americans and Latinos are using these platforms in ways that are much different because we socialize different. You know what I mean? So whether it's like, um, you know, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or world star hip hop and YouTube, the way we are using those, first of all, we're over indexing tremendously on those platforms. Like, um, like black Twitter. Yeah. It's, it's like a, phenomenon, under, a big right? movement. Yeah. So in a lot of things you see like Ferguson or back to like Gina six, like that things, those things are spurred on by social media and email and people being like, I can't believe this happened. And you know what I mean? It's, it's like this, it's, it's our own CNN. Chuck D used to call rap like yeah. black CNN. Right. But now like black CNN is like, could be like Facebook or Instagram or something along with rap put in there. So it's, they, they understand that there's something going on there that they don't quite truly get. And oftentimes they see Snoop as the this uh, this this window into that world, and obviously us at Kashmir having a full understanding of like what's going on there and uh, how we can work together to to understand it. And so we talked about previously. I think you you should write a, you need to write a book on this, uh-huh. the uh, Tabasco sauce. Yeah, and that's a, a great metaphor. Well, you know that's not my thing. Like oh. I stole it. Uh, from who? I uh, stole it from our chairman, Ted. Okay. Right? And well, he can think, write the forward for yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah, So, you know, it's about, it's like taking a look at Tabasco. We have this thing in-house that's called Mixly. M-M-X-L-I-I. Stands Roman numeral 2042. And that's the year, and it depends on what study you look at, but that's the year that... Um, minorities in America will become the majority, right? And that's already happening. What year is that? In 2042. Other people say 2050. Some people say 2036. It's just mixing. For the next 30 years. Right, yeah. And it's already happening. If you look at the 10 biggest DMAs in America, um, there's already more than 50% people of color. LA, Chicago, Philly, uh, the Bay Area, uh, New York. There's already more than 50% of the population are people of color um, in the 10 biggest uh, metropolitan areas in America. So what is happening is you're looking at the market, right, which used to be very uh, segregated. When I was a kid, I'd watch Soul Train with my dad. Was it, you bring this up. Yeah. I remember BET. Mm-hmm. So I would come home from Calinan and I would watch like Rap City mm-hmm. and I'd watch like Public Enemy. Right. Because that wasn't really on MTV. Right. They had you on TV raps. Right, right. But that was Tripod Quest uh-huh. hip hop. I remember the commercials were different. Uh-huh. They had like black people, right. you know, talking about soup. And that's the way it has been forever yeah. in America, right? You have. Like when I was, what I was getting ready to say is you watch, Soul, I watched Soul Train with my dad and hey, it's only black people that drive Lincolns. It's only black people that go to McDonald's, right? But that world was a world of my dad's generation. My world and especially the world of people much younger than me is much more mixed than that. We have a black president now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, a mixed culture African-American president. Um, so Hawaiian, yeah, he's Hawaiian, he's Kenyan, he's American, yeah. he's Kansasian, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but Kansanian, yeah, he's all these things. I went to the University of Kansas too, so I don't even know. Kansan. Um, so uh, he's all of these things, and so therefore, like this perspective is much different from young people. If they see something being segregated, 
and being marketed to them, they automatically know they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. That's in that's not authentic, right? Because right. when you go to Coachella or Bonnaroo, what's segregated about that? It's an experience of different music and different people and different food and all these things come together. And that is the way that young people look at the world. And if they're not looking at the world like that in Iowa, they definitely are in one of these top 10 DMAs, right? So then you look at the general market and you say, Tabasco sauce used to be marketed to the middle class, mid middle age white man in middle America, right? Yep. Who everyone had in their fridge. Yeah, who barbecued on the weekends and he pours a little Tabasco sauce on the chicken or the hamburger to spice it up, right? Yep. That's cool. And for years, Tabasco was synonymous with hot sauce, right? You wouldn't ask for like, you'd say, give me Tabasco sauce and they give you whatever kind of hot sauce they got, right? Um, but things started changing quickly and uh, while Tabasco used to have a tremendous market share, um, they started dwindling, right? Because all of a sudden you have other things pop up like sriracha, right? I never heard of sriracha until I moved out to yeah. LA. And sriracha, like, you know, was in all the Asian American uh, uh, restaurants, right? Um, then you have like uh, Tapatio or Cholula, right? That were all at all the Latino restaurants, right? Now, if you come to my house, and I'm not even a hot sauce connoisseur, I got all of that. I got yeah. Tabasco, Cholula, Tapatio, uh, Sriracha. And if you come to my house and ask for hot sauce, I'm gonna be like, what kind? Right. You know what I mean? So all those other companies took market share away from Tabasco, right? And there's like Pete's and Red Rooster and yeah. some that were like regional, more uh -huh. regional. Um, and, you know, that's what's happening. Or that's what's threatening to happen to these brands. If you just think that you're going to spend your dollars on this general market, you're going to lose market share because the general market is changing. And it's not wait until 2042. It's, it has already changed, right? And if you, you don't need, like, here's my African-American media spend. Here's my Asian-American media spend. Here's my Latinos media spend. And here's my general market media spend. That all needs to be the same media spend, but you have to be clever enough and understand the, the culture and the landscape enough to, uh, to, to figure out how to have a campaign that can speak to all these people in a way that's authentic. And it's, it sounds much more complicated than it already than it actually is. Coachella, like I said before, great example. They do it. You know right. What I mean? They have hip hop acts. and Yeah, they have every type of act. Right. But that initially it was more like indie rock. Yeah. But times change and, then, change and, they, and they, got, they, they, they stayed ahead of the curve. Bonnaroo used to be like jam bands. Right. Or Lollapalooza. Or, you know, you, you go through it. But, you know, it's, it's 2014 now. So what is it like talking to brands and you convey that message? Mm -hmm. Are they like, okay, I get it. Cause it's all, cause without the internet, it wouldn't be as easy as right. it is. I've been doing this a long time, man. I used to would like, you know, when I was at the source as an editor, I would go with our uh, ad team and meet with brands and say like, this is what we have coming out this year. Uh, these are the types of trends that you can look forward to seeing. This is what we're looking forward to. This is what our editorial calendar looks like. Um, and at the time, I remember it went from going to a company and saying, hey, you need to use hip hop and this is why, to like towards the end of my time there, they would come to us and be like, hey, we need hip hop. Right. So it becomes a very different conversation. You're not explaining to them why they need something. They're coming to you because they know they need it. I've seen that same evolution here at Cashmere where, uh, you know, the different brands and stuff, we were going to them and say, hey, you need to use social media and you need to use uh, online video and you need to have a 360 marketing plan to talk to these kids and the or the young people and the touch points that they're at. 
And there was a lot of education that had to go into it. Now brands are just coming to us and they're like, hey, we need all this stuff. We know that you can help. So it's it's a lot different. So they're open to it. It's Different brands are different things. A lot of times you have this like renegade CMO or marketing director that's like, hey, I know I need you guys. Like yeah. this better work because like if not, it's my ass. Right. You know what I mean? But other times, depends the types of brands. We yeah. deal with a lot of different brands. You deal with... Adidas or EA Sports. What's like a or campaign example that you like that you felt like just knocked it out? Oh, uh, we hit, did one the hip hop world. Yeah, we did one um, here at Cashmere with Overstock.com, right? Overstock.com and Snoop Dogg. We, like, never think those two things would come <laughs> together. And basically, it started off as the idea for a commercial. And what we did is we were able to uh, help them with the creative, come up with the creative, and oversee the the commercial being made. And then they had the idea of, hey, we're going to take uh, this commercial and we're going to put it on the internet. And we're like, yeah, but. It's a great commercial. It's going to be awesome on TV. It's not going to perform on the internet. So what we did is we worked together with Overstock and with Snoop to come up with a story, a transmedia story that was told through this commercial, through a music video that ended up being on Snoop's uh, social, uh, on his YouTube page, uh, West, West Fest TV, and also through his social media. So it was this whole story where all these different types of medias uh, were optimized, or all these different types of messages were optimized to be on the media that they were on. So it was like a real win for us, and it performed uh, amazingly. And what's an example? Like, was that, how was it on YouTube? YouTube, we made a music video. Snoop at the time was uh, going through his Snoop Lion phase, which he's, you know, still... Is he still Snoop Lion? Yeah, still definitely a part of him. He's just exploring different sides of who he is as an artist. Um, and he had a song called The Good Good, and uh, which was on his Reincarnated album. And we had that as the music bed for the commercial. And instead of just taking that commercial and putting it online, we're like, we might as well just shoot a music video for the song, The Good Good. And uh, the, the, both the music video and the commercial featured his family. Uh, his son is like very popular now because he, he's on the number one high school football team in the nation. He's a blue chip recruit, has the opportunity to go everywhere. So put his son in it and his wife and his daughter and his other son as well. And then kind of told this story through the music That's video. Cool. So it's out there. It's called The Good Good. Okay, I'll link Check to it, it in the description. Yeah. You know. And so when growing up in Iowa, your father owned what I believe was the only African-American owned yeah. radio station probably in Iowa. Yeah. And you were always into hip hop. Mm -hmm. Like when did you realize like in Iowa that hip hop was for you? Yeah, well, my dad, he, my dad has a pretty amazing story himself. He was like, Dan Rather wrote a book and like, Part one chapter in the book was about my father. The book was called American Dream. My dad grew up in D.C. and Southeast D.C. and found his way to Iowa through a couple of football scholarships. Ended up playing football at Drake University, and turned out from being a guy that was voted least likely to succeed in high school uh, to being like a state representative in Iowa and uh, ran a community center called uh, Model Cities Recreation Center. We know it as Old Dowling in Des Moines and started a community uh, uh, service or social service organization called Urban Dreams back in 1985. Uh, ran the uh, community radio station. I don't know if I'd call it African-American, but at the time, uh, it was very African-American. What you're saying was like Ferguson before. Yeah. Like before Twitter, where you yeah. could document and vent. Right, yes, you, know, you could go on the radio and say, hey, it's pissing me off. It was off. community. It was community radio. Like if you've seen like... Um, I think this is a really good note to end on. But one final question mm -hmm. is... What is, so you, we talk about Iowa and Roosevelt being a melting pot, or not Iowa being a melting pot, but Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. Like, why is it, I feel like people in Iowa still connect, mm -hmm. even people that have left. Mm -hmm. 
Why, what do you attribute that to? I think it's just good old fashioned Midwest upbringing. Just like nice right? people at yeah. the core, and yeah, it's like it's 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 good going back to Des Moines because you go. I live out here in L.A. right, and you get caught up in like what people are wearing or what they're driving or what club they're going to or something like that, and all that's fun. It's fine. It's and it's the world of entertainment. I get it. But you go back to Iowa, and it doesn't matter like what you're wearing, or what kind of car you drive, or what kind of house you live in. People just build relationships with you based off of like who you really are. And I think those are real genuine relationships yeah. and those last forever. People get along well with others from Iowa. Yeah. Well, it's funny, like, um, you know, talking about us growing up as, you know, playing around with hip hop in Iowa. When I, when I, I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if I even told you this. When we were at Callanan, I, we used to have our year, this is our middle school. We had our yearly talent show. Yeah. And I would rap in my yeah. talent show. And one year I did it and uh, one of my back, one of the dancers and the I mean, background dancers weren't even a thing back there. If you're a rapper, you had your two dancers just like right. Big Daddy. The fly girls weren't existing. Yeah, like Big Daddy Kane and <laughs> Scoop and Scrap or Kid and Play or whatever. But uh, this guy named Shandre Crawford was uh, performed with me both years, and he's he uh, turned turned out to move to Atlanta, and now he's a, a producer by the name of Bangladesh, and is you know multi platinum producer oh, no way. for Beyonce and Rihanna and Ludacris and. It's we still have that connection. I was just in down in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and he hits me when he comes out here, and it's just it's 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 strange. These Iowa connections are strange. They're there, and they don't go away. Never. Yeah. Cool, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me at your office. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Enjoyed for it. It's great. Yeah. All right. That was Ryan Ford from Des Moines, Iowa, an old school homie buddy from back in the day. As you can tell, I enjoyed it. One of the most favorite guests I've had so far. Coming full circle, wanted to thank Sam Glassnap for uh, getting this in the books. He was an integral part to uh, get the interview going. Also want to thank Adam Sidney, who was a sponsor with his company, Truemaker. And Fat Rat and Rhino reuniting. You couldn't ask for a better uh, ending. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Going to Taco John's right now, or maybe Tasty Taco or Bowders, somewhere, somewhere from the old school. Take it easy.